and welcome to Word Up, a series of podcasts hosted by Oxford University Press with Helen Prince and guests. This morning, I am really delighted to welcome to the podcast Catherine Mortimer. She's a local to me, this hotbed of talent we have in the Southwest. So she's literally around the corner as we record. It's very exciting. She's currently the Associate Assistant Principal for Literacy at Torquay Academy. She is passionate about tackling social inequality through education. She's an author of books such as Disciplinary Literacy and Explicit Vocabulary Teaching and co-author of The Art of Poetry Books, which I believe are around six volumes, which is an incredible effort and, and to be a teacher. Uh, she blogs and um, is really into, interested in the research she's doing at the moment into narrowing the attainment gap through the University of Cambridge. She's written for The Tess and The Guardian, bit of an all-round star. Catherine, huge welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Good morning, Helen. Lo- absolutely lovely to be here and talking to you today. Awesome. So, Catherine, we're fascinated by people, I think, in education. You know, that's a lot of what makes us tick, is to try and get underneath the layers of what makes people tick. So tell us a little bit about you and your passions and interests as a child and how that kind of led to where you find yourself today. Okay, so um, I guess it's a bit of a cliche really that my passion as a child, uh, but it wasn't until I I sort of got older that I realised how much of a a powerful tool reading was and how privileged I was to be in that position to have loved reading and how that sparked from from such an early age because I was in a position that I was brought up in a household where um, where people read and mm. it was expected of me and I absolutely loved it there was no um, no barriers to, to my reading. I mean, interestingly, actually, I, I say I was brought up in, in a household where there was no barriers. My, my sister uh, was brought up in the exact same household and, and um, she was never di- diagnosed as dyslexic, but I think um, that's something, uh, you know, because we're old. <laughs> um, but I think that's something that um, perhaps if she went to school now, so yeah, I, I could sort of see through her um, her struggles uh, with school and how she overcame them that actually uh, my passion for, for reading was something that, that was kind of a, a combined element to it in that I was in a household that was uh, surrounded by books, but also that there was nothing kind of preventing me from, from accessing, and, accessing and enjoying those books. So I guess if we're, we're talking about the connection between that and what I've gone on to do now, I think that experience has certainly led me to realise how much I just want to spark that passion in and reading and, and also prevent those barriers that, that stop children mm. from, from being able to, to read and access books. So what, what do you think it is that books unlock for us? What was it you loved as a child? Um, I think hearing different people's stories I was just I think a bit like um with binge um series you get in and you want to see the next mm. episode because each episode kind of ends on the cliffhanger it was just that for me um and I think to be fair um for me growing up there just wasn't so many distractions as young people have nowadays mm. um and I That's find so myself true. I don't read as much as as his I could pick up a a great book like Matilda I remember being one of the first books that I I literally read it in a day because I wanted to know what happened I just got so caught up in the characters 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. my mum bought it for me. It's, By it's the time we got so home, vivid. I'd read it in the car. <laughs> she was a bit cross, actually. Yeah. I just literally bought me that. <laughs> that was supposed to keep you quiet. Yes, for exactly. For a few days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it's going to the library as well. That was always such an experience going in and just really hoping that, um, embarrassingly, like the Sweet Valley High series, like, have they oh, got brilliant. number 52? Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> requesting them and get because it was free for children to kind of book the um book the next in the series and it would come through the letterbox oh the books survived and yeah there was just this excitement around it um I, I think that um that I think Stoop does still exist certainly we've got a lot of students that are majorly into reading there's so much more young adult fiction uh, available mm. so um I think it is possible to kind of unlock that passion despite all of the distractions that young people have because of the the quality that's out there um but it is it is more of a challenge I think yeah absolutely and you're right there's so many incredible young adult fiction authors out there aren't there at the moment and and actually that translation between Netflix and books is quite helpful so long as we try and push the book first I, I've tried yes. it with my daughter for years I'm not sure it's worked I think sneakily she does watch the Netflix and then tells me she's read the book. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me tell me about your current school so you're in Torquay Academy what's what's your role yeah. there and and how do you um you know bring out the best of of the people that you're with every day so um, my role started off as um, improving teaching and learning. So I went along as a lead practitioner uh, for English. So there were kind of two sides to it, really. Um, supporting the English department um, in kind of rolling out a new curriculum um, and really kind of accessing all the research out there in terms of the, the sort of text that, that was studied. So um, and I know that this is potentially a, a bit controversial because everybody has sort of different views um about which texts are, are the best to teach um, <laughs> yes. in English. especially English um, teachers we're, we're, all, we're all quite opinionated aren't we in the English team yes <laughs> I love that about yeah, us yeah well I think what we've managed to achieve is a bit of a balance in that um in the English curriculum we do have the the sort of more challenging texts like Animal Farm Mm. Lord of the Flies, lower down the school, uh, which do sort of tackle some quite challenging ideas and, and concepts. But at the same time, we have our library lessons. And in those areas, we do read the sort of the, the more young adult fiction that has been written for children to engage children in, into reading. And I think it's really important that children are offered both within the context of school so that they the books that they read aren't just the kind of classics, particularly if they struggle with their literacy skills, yeah. um, because I can I think that can lead children with the feeling that reading isn't for them. Yes, it's just for the English classroom. So I think it's it's I really relish the opportunity that I've been given to to have that freedom with the tutor reading to bring in books that just go down, reads aloud to them uh, and that they absolutely enjoy and love. Noughts and Crosses, for example, in year nine, and then they go on and want to read the next in, in the series. And I think that, that there's, as I say, there's room for, for both of those. Uh, so I'm one of those. Um, <laughs> in, in any of those kind of debates, I can sort of 
say, well, I think we don't need to, we don't need to have one or the other. We can, yeah. we can, there's room for both. Absolutely. And also, you know, some of those really age appropriate books, or, you know, even if, if young people are choosing to read books that are lower than their reading ability ages, they do lead into other lands of reading. They do Absolutely. unlock other worlds of reading. And it's just about Absolutely. sparking that interest, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, it's funny you say that. I remember, gosh, going back 15, 16 years now, of my teacher training at Exeter with the um, amazing um, Debbie Myhill. Debbie Myhill. Um, Shout out, Debbie Myhill. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, well, she's just just so inspirational and, and the yeah. fact that I, I always back then kind of felt oh children should be given access to like Melvin Burgess books that that really kind of spark their enjoyment and interest and and it one of our challenges was to think okay well if they start from there what can that lead them on to that's perhaps more challenging and that that we can effectively take them on a journey with their reading which is very much what we yeah we aim absolutely. to do at, at Tokyo you know that sounds that sounds like that brilliant Radio 4 program have you heard it with Keris Matthews where they start with one song and then they say, right, from that song, that's led me to this song. And they talk about the reasons yeah. why. And then from that song, it leads them to that song. And it's fascinating. I, that yeah. sounds like a great book club, actually. We should start <laughs> a book club like that, Catherine. You know, yeah. one book. And then that's like, right, what's that going to lead us to? So there's a real kind of connection between your, your reading journey path. I like that. Absolutely. Okay, so... What, what do you think, and this is a big question because obviously we are all sitting within our own contexts, but what's your view of where we are currently with literacy teaching in secondary school? I think we're in the most exciting place we, we've ever been. Um, years, I think certainly there's just been such a huge emphasis on, on literacy. I think the Education Endowment Foundation has been hugely influential yes, and yep. done um, a significant amount of, of research. So there's a clear evidence base for particular approaches to literacy literacy which I think is um, fantastic. Alex Quigley uh, and, and his vocabulary books and you know Closing the Gap has just been so inspirational. I think Doug Lamov as well with a lot of um, again <laughs> perhaps another sort of controversial in, in terms of um, different people's views on, on some of the methods that are advocated but I, I certainly feel that the Reading Reconsidered um, training um, is just I think it's moved forward our understanding of of literacy mm. uh, within a secondary environment. I think it's uh, certainly when I started teaching, it was very much seen as a primary school domain or yeah. a very small SCN kind of yeah. like a small number of students perhaps um, to be in a nurture group or or something like that but I think it's really developed in in recent years the connection between literacy and the attainment gap I think is something um, that uh, obviously the, the focus on the pupil premium and, and we're sort of slowly getting there and understanding what's its advantage and it's just been really refreshing to sort of see the the connection with literacy being foregrounded that there's still a long long way to go and there's certainly a lot more that we can learn from our, yeah. our primary colleagues and certainly a lot more that we we can do and learn but it's just fantastic to see it having such a such a focus. And do you think, I mean, we'll talk about disciplinary literacy and I want you to give us a really, you know, robust definition so we can really <laughs> hang on to what it is. But do you think that disciplinary literacy has 
had a part to play in that mind shift? I think so. I think, as I've mentioned, the EEF has placed it as their sort of number one strategy for for improving literacy within secondary schools. I understand exactly what it is, but actually when it's explained, I realise that some of the best teachers of all subjects, actually disciplinary literacy is an embedded part of what they do. They Mm. just don't call it disciplinary literacy they people kind of think of literacy as as this sort of bolt on box oh have I thought about literacy oh yeah I'll make sure they check the capital letters at, yes, at the end and absolutely. Yeah, I tick the literacy box yeah because Miss Mortimer's <laughs> on it and she's told me I've got to do that so I'll just do that at the end of my exactly lesson. it's on a form <laughs> isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so come on then help us out for anybody who's not familiar with the concept of disciplinary literacy tell us what's the, what's the best sort of definition that we can work with So I'll give all credit to this. They've come up with this brilliant analogy of literacy being like a tree. And the trunk of the tree is the common literacy approaches, which apply to all all subjects. So spelling, punctuation, grammar, all of those things that are are kind of central to literacy. Um, But the tree has these unique branches, presents the different subject and how Within each subject, you have different ways of reading, different ways of writing, different ways of speaking, thinking. And they've come up with these great phrases like read like a historian, write like a scientist. And this goes, uh, the original sort of term disciplinary literacy is actually rooted in academia. So when you go to university, what are the elements of particularly your writing that 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 kind of make it unique to that discipline at that sort of further area of, of study yeah I was doing a bit of reading actually around it and I found, I found that it was called the English for academic purposes at university level and essentially yeah. what we've done is grab that and think well yes. that's that's actually what we need to yeah. do yeah and I love those you know yeah write like historian and um I did a webinar the other day and yeah. someone had the lovely phrase to speak like a specialist which I love, yes. you know, because that's actually, <laughs> that's all we're striving for, isn't it? Is to feel that that, yeah. that, uh, that connection and that sense of belonging in terms of the vocabulary we're using within a, a subject mm. area. You know, I am a scientist, yeah. therefore I speak like a specialist yeah. in that subject. Awesome. I think, sorry, <laughs> just to no, kind of no. elaborate on that. I think that's what, what, what kind of really sparked my interest in, in the connection between literacy and, and teaching and learning. I was doing some work on, on modelling and what makes effective modelling. And I kind of realised that actually in all subjects, it doesn't matter if you're an English teacher, science teacher, a history teacher, then if you're going to ensure that your students are successful in your subject, mm. then you are going to show them exactly what success looks like but but what success looks like at the highest level I think sometimes we can feel with our students that have lower literacy levels lower prior attainment that actually we should be offering them perhaps like let's say a C in old language a C grade exemplar because yeah. oh, we better not show them anything higher 
because it yeah because that will confuse them and perhaps once they've mastered the C grade something higher but what's kind of blown my mind recently and this is what we've been working on at, at, at Talking Academy and there's been a huge amount of, of blogs about all about teaching to the top and scaffolding mm, mm. the kind of extreme scaffolding and that, again it's something else that's perhaps controversial but I, I thoroughly believe in this I, I've got a lower prior attaining year 11 group at the moment and their targets are one of them their target is to get a two in yeah. GCSE yeah like that that's what he's expected to get and twos and threes and fours but actually they can write Macbeth essays a Macbeth essay that is an A star but I, I don't kind of go straight in and say here's an A star essay you've got to break that A star essay down into the component parts you've got mm. to think What's the vocabulary that really characterises that A star? What are the key quotations that, that they will use? And then big things that they will say um, about those quotations. And, and I, I know that as English teachers, we want to bring the interpretations from our students. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's really important that we've got a, a really, really clear idea of what success looks like and that we're able to trans a way that makes sense. I think the more expert we are in um in our explanations the the easier it is for for those weaker students to understand yeah absolutely and it all comes back doesn't it to high expectation and you know i i absolutely recognize why some colleagues find that really difficult on a wet tuesday afternoon when you've just had a really difficult lesson (laughs) and they're not you know listening or they haven't understood the concept you're trying to teach and you know that temptation but very natural human instinct to tear your hair out and Mm. say I don't think these kids are ever (laughs) going to get what they're meant to get it's it's you know that's in all of us isn't it but it's that drive for relentless optimism that that is at the heart of that expectation I I think some of the concepts that students who get the A star about are not actually difficult concepts if we take Macbeth, for example, the dagger soliloquy, um, the relationship between Macbeth and Lady mm. Macbeth. Like if you teach them the idea of phallic imagery, emasculation, like those might sound like they're quite challenging. They're not. <laughs> they're not that hard. Like if you if you decide right, I'm go, I'm going to teach Macbeth, and these are the fundamental key concepts that I want them to learn. This is the vocabulary I want them to learn. And I'm going to revisit these terms systematically um, throughout my teaching of it. Then that I think that's very empowering mm. um, for students. And I feel so proud when they're able to say, oh, does this demonstrate the emasculation and the destruction of the patriarchal authority? Of <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes, it does, Jonathan. That, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely brilliant. There's, there's no reason why they can't get it. Yeah and feel that success and you're absolutely right it's definitely about small steps isn't it and and being successful in a small way and then building on that and layering on that yeah exciting exciting place to be in your classroom (laughs) Catherine so colleagues listening to this how can they if you know if disciplinary literacy is is a new phrase to them or it's not something that their school have really tackled yet where where should they start how should they begin the process of turning their school into a disciplinary literacy focused uh, space 
Okay, so I think I, I think disciplinary literacy is anything new in the classrooms of teachers who are really successful at ensuring that their students will be able to communicate effectively within their subject. So I think if if we start by looking at reading, for example, yeah, um, I know that in geography. In the geography exam, they have pre-released material, 10 pages worth of uh, rainforests, I think it was a couple of years ago. So it's a case of saying to students they need to tackle independently. So we will do lots of practice of this. And this is how we read like a geographer. So the sort of questions that we're going to get asked will be X, Y and Z. Therefore, as we're reading this, I'm going to pay particular attention to um, let's say the key fact. So how mm. can I identify what the key facts are? Well, they're like it's likely to be numbers. It's likely to use this particular vocabulary that we've covered within class and teach them those techniques of skimming and scanning and just looking for those bits of evidence that are going to help them to answer the question and make them understand that it's not necessarily important for them to understand every single word within these the, the pre yeah. pre-release yeah. material. It's about being selective and about finding that evidence that's useful in order to answer that question. And, and, and that's the case in geography. If we look at childcare, I know that there's um, often case studies where there'll be a couple of paragraphs saying you have to give that person advice. So you're going to use different reading skills yeah. um, because 10 pages of pre-release you're going to have to use much many more of the skimming and scanning strategies. Whereas with um, just a paragraph or two of, of a scenario, you're going to have to read that much more closely mm. and look for every last detail. Because I know within those scenarios, sometimes they chuck in just a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a key bit of information that if that's going to influence their, their response. So actually, yeah, it's, it's just thinking about within your subject and, what is vital that students are able to do in order to be successful, in order to read successfully um, within their subject. And then the, the same sort of applies for writing. And I've kind of gone through uh, with writing before using those A-star uh, responses, um, grade nine responses, as opposed to yeah. watered down. And that's such a metacognitive process, isn't it? You know, being explicit yeah. about what I am doing as Absolutely. a reader of a geography text, yeah. as an expert yeah. geographer. This is yeah. what I do. This is how I unpick. Yeah. 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 Great, great practice. So when, when we're looking at transition, I mean, certainly in the um, latest OUP word gap reports, transition has, has come up as a real area of need um, in terms of, the, you know, where the gap really widens at transition between key stage two and three. Mm -hmm. Do you think mm -hmm. there's anything that disciplinary literacy has to offer us in that space? So I think... What's perhaps is for secondary to learn more about what's happening at primary. And I think a lot of these gaps sort of develop because we, and, and I know that not all schools do this, and I know that there's a lot of work being done on this, but I think typically year sevens are often treated like blank slates that, that they mm. sort of come in, unless it's, a, unless it's a child that's got a very specific need and there's lots of information about them sort of pastorally that, that we tend to get. I don't think we have enough of the curriculum content that is taught at Key Stage 2 and that actually the disciplines are taught at Key Stage 2. Um, and particularly I know within the, the reading SATs that 
that they're trained really, really effectively to write in different forms and yeah. to understand yeah. the, the different unique elements that they need to, if they're asked to write a report, that this is how they, they're, they're trained really effectively to do that. So I'd say that's more of a priority. Um, having said that, I know a, I have had a, a huge amount of interest from primary colleagues in disciplinary literacy. And, and a lot of uh, primary colleagues have, have read the book and said, yeah, a lot of this I could apply to a secondary context. I think it's the vocabulary aspect of it that they're particularly interested in, in terms of sort of specifying vocab rather than kind of having words of the week that are oh this is an interesting word we'll learn this this week and then next week we'll learn a different word and next week that's not really the most effective way of, of kind of really embedding vocabulary you have to have your sort of selected vocabulary that you're going to revisit you just teach it as, as a one-off word of the week in a kind of transitory way then yeah, your brighter students may well in 10 years time, oh yes, I remember when I learned that word um, <laughs> in primary school, but, but your weaker students, unless it's revisited and it's mm. a fundamentally linked to the curriculum, yeah. then it, it's, it, it's not gonna stick. So yeah, yeah I think it's the, those elements that, that primary colleagues have, have found. I always think that vocabulary is like a spider's web and if we can yeah. put the vocabulary in the spider's web so there's a real connection and synergy yes and it's much yes. more likely to embed because but you know it's all about connotation and nuance isn't it and then you've got the layers of expression yeah. that you're trying to to uh, unpick I mean one of the things I found in my career Catherine is that try as I might I have not always managed to win the hearts and minds of all colleagues and <laughs> certainly when I was with Ofsted one of the most important things for, for schools school improvement was consistency you know and it, to get that consistency you have to win hearts and minds of all colleagues don't you so big mm. question how do we do that how do we win the hearts and minds of every colleague in the school to to be on board with this process of literacy so I think a, a big kind of light bulb moment for me was a couple of years ago, I was trying to sort out literacy intervention, mm. um, which typically had been done by extraction. So students would be Sounds given painful. a yellow card um, and yeah, <laughs> and um, that would sort of give them a, a task, leave their food technology lesson halfway through to go and, and do the literacy intervention and then the other half of the class would go for the other time it, it was quite it, I mean it was making an impact in terms of the, the the strategies that were used but in terms of the impact on the rest of the school it was quite disruptive and I remember having a phone call over lockdown with one particular colleague who just said well English um, at the moment and, and he just had this real sort of feeling that um, his subject was was neglected because mm. literacy was such a priority and that really made me realize that actually a way to to win around the school I guess is to say okay well we'll reduce the number of extractions and actually we use English lesson time and actually our head of science because they have quite a lot of science our students there's a core number that will not ever pass science unless they can read um and he agreed that actually we could use some science time mm. um for in, in an organized way uh where actually the science teachers deliver it's a, it's an electronic package that we use and there's teaching assistants that go in as well but it, it's actually done in the science classroom so it's much less disruptive 
they're not kind of in and out that they're stood in that so that was kind of done as that okay so we're going to reduce the intervention at the same time it's really really useful for you if you're going to be a successful teacher of your subject to dedicate time to modeling exactly as we've already discussed modeling how to read in your subject if you've got case studies as we've Mm. just gone through if you're you've got extended writing as we've just gone through and really sort of build that into your curriculum and make sure there's time for that practice of more extended writing because there's very few subjects where there isn't some point where they need to either read or write (laughs) Um, but it does take many different forms and a lot of science exams actually they don't have to write in full sentences in order to gain maximum marks there's lots of answers where they can just bullet point and it comes down to to explicit teaching of the command words and then appreciating the connection between question I must use the word because if it's this kind of question then I must write in this particular way yeah um and and I think it's been pushing on an open door really because it is a bit of a no-brainer that that is what's going to lead to better results and that that's what what we're all aiming aiming towards ultimately it's exciting it's really exciting to think actually that we're we're devolving the responsibility for literacy to everybody I know in your um in your test article I read in from September you said uh many schools spend a lot of time and energy focusing on the trunk that EEF analogy yes. of uh, of disciplinary literacy rather than the branches and the aspects of literacy that are individual to each subject area so it really is about focusing on the branches isn't it and those yes. specific areas of literacy because then everybody is innately has buy into that because that's going yes. to help their subject and their yeah, results it's it's not a bolt on um if I can just tell you actually so uh, I'd say a major thing that happened at our school wasn't anything to do with me I can't take any credit for it particularly <laughs> um but we were doing team um, teamwork, Catherine, teamwork. <laughs> yeah well one of my colleagues was doing some research into some of the the factors that lead students to fail students to succeed so looking at the data over the last five or six years and I've sort of asked him can you include reading ages in that and absolutely of course and it it turned out that obviously the effort grades that are input across the year the lower the effort grade Mm. the lower the result at the end the the less likely they were to do home result but actually reading age come out as the, the most significant factor so looking at comparing the reading ages when they arrive in year seven with whether or not they were likely to get the five good GCSEs, including English and maths. Yeah. 83% of students of a reading age that match their chronological age got, got those results. So 83% of students, if you can basically say if they arrived and they had a, a good reading age, then the vast majority. Whereas if they came with a reading age of below their chronolo- chronological age, so between nine and 10, then only 40% of them went on to get their five good GCSEs, including English and maths. Mm. Um, and actually, in our context, it's quite hard not to get your <laughs> not to get your um, five GCSEs. So that kind of just showed that. And, and that for research, I, know, I would suggest that if there, there's any literacy leaders out there <laughs> that are kind of struggling to, to win the hearts and minds, I say that hard data of if if they've got that low reading age then the ch- chances are very strongly that they're not going to succeed in your subject um that that was very powerful for us yeah 
brilliant bit of data. And that's when data is absolutely invaluable, isn't it? Where it informs, yeah. you know, our practice for the for what we now need to do. Brilliant. Let's finish up by talking a little bit about some of your top tips. So this is quite a stressful time in education at the moment. We are dealing with all sorts of pandemic driven difficulties within our settings and you know we've got we've got an unknown future really in spring term who knows where we're heading so tell us a few of your ideas for some stress-free teaching is there such a thing (laughs) does that exist Um, and and about how we maintain teacher well-being so I think I'm a bit of a boring one with this uh one thing that I've learned particularly the Christmas period is the more plan something fun that takes away structure the more stressful it ends up being (laughs) I always kind Mm. of think the number of kind of Christmas quizzes that I've done um or film on or something like that and the kids know that that it's not something that's valuable and and immediately I mean I'm sure there are teachers out there who've put together absolutely fantastic quizzes and love it and really enjoy it it's just not not been something that um that that I've uh, I've ever enjoyed and and actually what um what we're doing this year uh, particularly with year nine who's the group that um seemed to uh, need the most structure let's say is we've started reading women in black alongside our oh, brilliant our work love that um, story and I, I found amazing and I found this YouTube clip of a fire burning and it makes this really relaxing crackling sound oh yes so I kind of sit in front of the fire switch the light off and they've got their book and just kind of tell them the the ghost story so I've got a hundred minute lesson please tell me you've got a rocking chair Catherine that you read from (laughs) (laughs) just to add (laughs) oh I love the woman in black we saw it on stage here in Torquay actually and yeah that rocking chair oh it's chilling yeah (laughs) yeah they change the ending in the stage production as well don't they which does kind of when you walk out (laughs) yeah yeah you 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 run quite quick to your car after that yes (laughs) and what about the new year then so 22 2022 can you believe it what are your hopes and dreams for 2022 educationally educationally so uh, i mean you you popped in and, and had a little look round um on Monday I did I showed you our, our library space brilliant to see brilliant to see your 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 walls and the vibrancy of what's going on there it's incredible you know every space every inch that's taken up it's got some <laughs> message to to inspire and yeah. motivate it's brilliant well uh, but it's still a work in progress in that we haven't we haven't got our shelves in yet so I know it's kind of boring, but I'm really, I'm really excited about getting these shelves and like book displays. And I'm, I'm just because at the moment, obviously, there are shelves with books on, um, but they're, they're kind of been, been moved and around and uh, we're going to get proper bespoke ones in there. So, awesome. um, that's, that's not boring. That's, that's really exciting. I'm really looking forward to. <laughs> yeah. Have you have you delved into the world of Pinterest libraries? There's some incredible images there. You're just like, oh, I really want to go there. I love the little books that have, well, it's the shape of, or shape and size of a book and you put it in and you switch the light on and it's actually this amazing little world. So you can get like little Harry Potter ones and 
like it's difficult to describe but they're just like these little magical worlds that as you're scanning along the bookcase um inside like the little Alice in Wonderland or the my little goodness that sounds amazing inside but they, they do so I'm looking I'm getting some of those <laughs> love those <laughs> yeah so been, been, been on Pinterest got plenty of ideas very excited oh, well when it's done <laughs> please may I come back and have another look yes <laughs> have a of look. course <laughs> you know um C.S. Lewis who I, I couldn't love more for, for his Narnia's tales. He said, we read to know we're not alone. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. Yeah. So that's one for you all. Yeah. You can put that, put that up in the library. And that, isn't that just what we need right now? And this is just, it's so important. I think we've just finished reading The Black Flamingo. Dean Atter's just fantastic book. And I really just think that there, we need space for that in the English curriculum, just books that offer students the ability to see themselves reflected yeah. um, whoever they are particularly yeah. in Devon I think yeah absolutely that's that's what Zandra Bai says in the um no more exclusions we we need to show books that mm. have something of ourselves that's what we need to be mm. reading absolutely Catherine it's been a joy to talk to you thank you so so much for joining us and giving you. up your time on your precious Friday and um <laughs> thank you. happy new year and to you. I've absolutely loved it. Thank you, Helen. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Word Up podcast from Oxford Education. To receive bonus material relevant to the discussion, please visit www.oup.com slash education slash podcasts.